Chapter Five of David Copperfield, as condensed by the author for his dramatic readings in America, by Charles Dickens. This recording is in the public domain. Your reader, Michael Armenta. Chapter Five. All this time, I had gone on loving Dora harder than ever, if I may so express it. I was steeped in Dora. I was not merely over head and heels in love with her. I was saturated through and through. I took night walks to Norwood, where she lived, and perambulated round and round the house and garden for hours together, looking through crevices in the palings, using violent exertions to get my chin above the rusty nails on the top, blowing kisses at the lights in the windows, and romantically calling on the night to shield my Dora. I don't exactly know from what. I suppose from fire, perhaps from mice, to which she had a great objection. Dora had a discreet friend, comparatively stricken in years, almost of the ripe age of twenty, I should say, whose name was Miss Mills. Dora called her Julia. She was the bosom friend of Dora. Happy Miss Mills! One day Miss Mills said, Dora is coming to stay with me. She is coming the day after tomorrow. If you would like to call, I am sure Papa would be happy to see you. I passed three days in a luxury of wretchedness. At last arrayed for the purpose, at a vast expense, I went to Miss Mills, fraught with a declaration. Mr. Mills was not at home. I didn't expect he would be. <laughs> Nobody wanted him. Miss Mills was at home. Miss mm, Mills would do. I was shown into a room upstairs where Miss Mills and Dora were. Dora's little dog, Jip, was there. Miss Mills was copying music, and Dora was painting flowers. What were my feelings when I recognized flowers I had given her? Miss Mills was very glad to see me, and very sorry her papa was not at home, though. I thought we all bore that with fortitude. Miss Mills was conversational for a few minutes, and then, laying down her pen, got up and left the room. I began to think that I would put it off till tomorrow. I hope your poor horse was not tired when he got home at night from that picnic, said Dora, lifting up her beautiful eyes. It was a long way for him. I began to think I would do it today. It was a long way for him, for he had nothing to uphold him on the journey. Wasn't he fed? Poor thing! I began to think I would put it off till tomorrow. Y yes, he was well taken care of. I mean, he had not the unutterable happiness that I had in being so near to you. I saw now that I was in for it, and it must be done on the spot. I don't know why you should care for being near me, said Dora. 
or why you should call it happiness. But of course you don't mean what you say. Jip, you naughty boy, come here. I had Dora in my arms. I was full of eloquence. I never stopped for a word. I told her how I loved her. I told her I should die without her. I told her that I idolized and worshipped her. Jip barked madly all the time. My eloquence increased, and I said if she would like me to die for her, she had but to say the word, and I was ready. I had loved her to distraction every minute, day and night, since I first set eyes upon her. I loved her at that minute to distraction. I should always love her every minute to distraction. Lovers had loved before, and lovers would love again. But no lover had ever loved, might, could, would, or should ever love, as I loved Dora. The more I raved, the more Jip barked. Each of us, in his own way, got more mad at every moment. Well, well, Dora and I were sitting on the sofa by and by, quiet enough, and Jip was lying in her lap, winking peacefully at me. It was off my mind. I was in a state of perfect rapture. Dora and I were engaged. Being poor, I felt it necessary, the next time I went to my darling, to expatiate on that unfortunate drawback. I soon carried desolation into the bosom of our joys, not that I meant to do it, but that I was so full of the subject. By asking Dora, without the smallest preparation, if she could love a beggar. How can you ask me anything so foolish? Love a beggar. Dora, my own dearest, I am a beggar. How can you be such a silly thing, replied Dora, slapping my hand, as to sit there telling such stories? I'll make you bite you if you are so ridiculous. But I looked so serious that Dora began to cry. She did nothing but exclaim, Oh dear, oh dear, and oh, she was so frightened, and where was Julia Mills, and oh, take her to Julia Mills, and please go away, please, until I was almost beside myself. I thought I had killed her. I sprinkled water on her face. I went down on my knees. I plucked at my hair. I implored her forgiveness. I besought her to look up and ravaged Miss Mill's workbox for a smelling bottle, and in my agony of mind applied an ivory needle case instead and dropped all the needles over Dora. <laughs> at last I got Dora to look at me with a horrified expression, which I gradually soothed until it was only loving and her soft pretty cheek was lying against mine is your heart mine still dear dora oh yes oh yes it's all yours oh don't be dreadful my dearest love the crust well earned oh yes 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 but i don't want to hear any more about crusts and after we are married 
chip must have a mutton chop every day at twelve or he'll die i was charmed with her childish winning way and i fondly explained to her that jip should have his mutton chop with his accustomed regularity when we had been engaged some half year or so dora delighted me by asking me to give her that cookery book i had once spoken of and to show her how to keep accounts as i had once promised i would i brought the volume with me on my next visit i got it prettily bound first to make it look less dry and more inviting and showed her an old housekeeping book of my aunt's and gave her a set of tablets and a pretty pencil-case and a box of leads to practice housekeeping with the cookery book made dora's head ache and the figures made her cry they wouldn't add up she said so she rubbed them all out and drew little nosegays and likenesses of me and jip all over the tablets time went on at last here in this hand of mine i held the wedding license there were two names in the sweet old visionary connection david copperfield and dora spenlow and there in the corner was that parental institution the stamp office looking down upon our union and there in the printed form of words was the archbishop of canterbury invoking a blessing on us and doing it as cheap as could possibly be expected i doubt whether two young birds could have known less about keeping house than i and my pretty dora did we had a servant of course she kept house for us we had an awful time of it with mary ann her name was paragon her nature was represented to us when we engaged her as being feebly expressed in her name she had a written character as large as a proclamation and according to this document could do everything of a domestic nature that i ever heard of and a great many things that i never did hear of she was a woman in the prime of life of a severe countenance and subject particularly in the arms to a sort of perpetual measles she had a cousin in the lifeguards with such long legs that he looked like the afternoon shadow of somebody else she was warranted sober and honest and i am therefore willing to believe that she was in a fit when we found her under the boiler and that the <clears throat> deficient teaspoons were attributable to the dustman she was the case of our first little quarrel my dearest wife i said one day to dora do you think marianne has any idea of time why doady my love because it's five and we were to have dined at four my little wife came and sat upon my knee to coax me to be quiet and drew a line with her pencil down the middle of my nose but i couldn't dine off that though it was very agreeable don't you think my dear it would be better for you to remonstrate with mary ann oh no please i couldn't doady 
why not my love oh because i'm such a little goose and she knows i am i thought this sentiment so incompatible with the establishment of any system of check on marianne that i frowned a little my precious wife we must be serious sometimes come sit down on this chair close beside me now give me the pencil there now let us talk sensibly you know dear what a little hand it was to hold and what a tiny wedding ring it was to see you know my love it is not exactly comfortable to have to go out without one's dinner now is it mm, no replied dora faintly my love how you tremble because i know you're going to scold me my sweet i'm only going to reason oh but reasoning is worse than scolding i didn't marry to be reasoned with if you meant to reason with such a poor little thing as i am you ought have told me so you cruel boy dora my darling no i am not your darling because you must be sorry that you married me or else you wouldn't reason with me i felt so injured by the inconsequential nature of this charge that it gave me courage to be brave now my own dora you are childish and are talking nonsense you must remember i'm sure that i was obliged to go out yesterday when dinner was half over and that the day before i was made quite unwell by being obliged to eat underdone veal in a hurry to-day i don't dine at all and then i am afraid to say how long we waited for breakfast and then the water didn't boil i don't mean to reproach you my dear but this is not comfortable <gasps> oh you cruel cruel boy to say i am a disagreeable wife now my dear dora you must know that i never said that you said i wasn't comfortable i said the housekeeping was not comfortable it's exactly the same thing and i wonder i do at your making such ungrateful speeches when you know that the other day when you said you would like a little bit of fish i went out myself miles and miles and ordered it to surprise you and it was very kind of you my own darling and i felt it so much that i wouldn't on any account have mentioned that you bought a salmon which was too much for two <clears throat> or that it cost one pound six <laughs> which was more than we can afford you enjoyed it very much and you said i was a mouse and i'll say so again my love a thousand times i said it a thousand times and more and went on saying it until marianne's cousin deserted into our coal hole and was brought out to our great amazement by a picket of his companions in arms who took him away handcuffed in a procession that covered our front garden with disgrace everybody we had anything to do with seemed to cheat us our appearance in a shop was a signal for the damaged goods to be brought out immediately if we bought a lobster it was full of water all our meat turned out tough and there was hardly any crust to our loaves 
as to the washerwoman pawning the clothes and coming in a state of penitent intoxication to apologize <laughs> i suppose that might have happened several times to anybody also the chimney on fire the parish engine and perjury on the part of the beadle but i apprehended we were personally unfortunate in our page whose principal function was to quarrel with the cook we wanted to get rid of him but he was very much attached to us and wouldn't go until one day he stole dora's watch and spent the produce he was always a weak-minded boy in riding up and down between london and oxbridge outside the coach he was taken to the police office on the completion of his fifteenth journey when four and sixpence and a second-hand fife which he couldn't play were found upon his person he was tried and ordered to be transported even then he couldn't be quiet and was always writing us letters and he wanted so much to see dora before he went away that dora went to visit him and fainted when she found herself inside the iron bars i had no peace of my life until he was expatriated and made as i afterwards heard a shepherd of uh, up the country somewhere i have no geographical idea where i'm very sorry for all this dodie said dora will you call me a name i want you to call me what is it my dear it's a stupid name child wife when you are going to be angry with me say to yourself it's only my child wife and i am very disappointing say i knew a long time ago that she would make but a child wife when you miss what you would like me to be and what i should like to be and what i think i never can be still my foolish child wife loves me or indeed i do i invoke the innocent figure that i dearly love to come out of the mists and shadows of the past and to turn its gentle head towards me once again and to bear witness that it was made happy by what i answered end of chapter five